I can only imagine uh, watching a video like that uh, creates a lot of unanimity and solidarity among us in all three uh, locations this morning in a community like ours. Uh, as we think about the opinions or the perspectives that people offer in terms of addressing the question we're looking at this morning, and that is why is there so much pain in the world? How do I process the fact that life can be so filled uh, with pain? I imagine that a lot of the perspectives uh, expressed in that video have been shared uh, between a number of us as we think about the pain that's going on in the world right now. My gosh, look at the news. Uh, famine in Sudan and a refugee crisis, you know, across the world and here in North America. Um, concern in the LGBT community about safety. Um, just all sorts of trauma and turmoil going on in the world, uh, racial violence or, or, or hate-based crime on the rise across the Western Hemisphere. It's incredible. Imagine we, these are some of the thoughts that we have as we think about the, the pain that is touching the lives of people that are close to us. A friend of mine, we just buried uh, the father of a friend of mine two days ago. Um, but you just have to go to southridgechurch.ca slash prayer to look at some of the stuff that's going on in our community, physical health concerns, family concerns, marital concerns, concerns with kids, concerns with addictions, just an incredible amount of pain. I imagine some of these perspectives are things that have gone through your head even as you've grappled with the pain that's going on in your own soul. Uh, the stuff I don't need to tell you about. Maybe the stuff that even brought you here this morning. Imagine if that's the... If that's where you're at, if you're like that last woman in the video who's on a journey of processing pain, imagine among us, the, that subset of the community, there's a tremendous amount of solidarity as we watch a video like that around just how unhelpful so many of those perspectives can be in helping us think about why there is pain and what to do about it. Because at the end of the day, that's really the two categories of of perspective that I hear when I watch that video. The first, there's a whole set of comments in the video that are about who God is and God's role in the midst of the pain. And in, among those who commented about God, there seemed to be this unanimity that somehow God is the, the source or the origin of the pain that we experience in our life. So you had the one woman who says, I don't know why God doesn't want me to have a baby. Or the man uh, who said, you know, maybe this is the reason why God took our baby. That God was the one responsible in those situations for the pain they were experiencing. And the second thread that's kind of shared in that is that God has a, a broader purpose for the pain that we experience. Right? She says, I wonder, I don't know the reason, that God has a reason for not giving her a baby. Or the man expresses his guess at a reason, that maybe God needed another angel to battle against the devil. That there was a reason why God was doing what he was doing. And in fact, it's captured by the earliest comment in the video, which was uh, that all things are working for the good. That somehow in the pain that we're experiencing, everything is working towards our betterment or the betterment of the world or something. Something that's supposed to give hope that all of this pain is worth it. And as somebody who has been on my own journey in our family of processing pain over the last number of years, 
and as somebody who has studied the scriptures a lot, my struggle with those perspectives is just how profoundly they misrepresent who God is. But nowhere in scripture do you find a, a perspective of a God who, who delights or who inflicts pain on people to teach them a lesson. Um, in fact, right in the earliest chapters of scripture, right in the story of creation, you get a perspective on, on God's goal for the world. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. At the end of the story of how God is behind everything that is, it says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God's vision for the world, God's hope for humanity is that we would experience what is very good. The world that God created is different than the world that now is in that God could look at the world that, was, that he created and say, this is all very good. So much of what we look at in the world right now, you could not say is very good. Theologians, um, just to create a couple of distinctions here, like to distinguish between evil and pain. Pain is in the question. Behind pain is the reality of evil. Those are two separate realities. Not all pain is evil, though our culture likes to tell us that everything that doesn't create happiness is bad. That is not true. There's a difference between evil and pain, and there's two kinds of evil, theologians will say. There's moral evil, which is the kind of evil that's produced by people. When people hurt other people by behaving in immoral ways, so that can be um, personal evil, right, like abuse. It could be collective evil like the Holocaust. It could be systemic evil like racism. Um, then there's another category called natural evil where really nobody's to blame. Infertility and, and birth defects and SIDS and cancer and earthquakes and tornadoes and mudslides. Nobody is to blame for these things. Though we come to call them in the legal literature acts of God. When there's no one else to blame, you blame God. That someone is always inflicting this pain on me. So evil of moral and natural kinds cause pain in our lives. It's interesting. I have experienced both kinds of evil. But that natural evil, when my mom was diagnosed in 2007 with a cancerous tumor called glioblastoma melanoma, GBM, uh, it was not anything that she did. It was a brain tumor that was terminal, eventually uh, took her life a year later. That wasn't the result of any decision that anybody made. In fact, that was a genetically caused cancer. Somebody could have drawn blood from my mom the morning she was born uh, and told her, based on her genetic markers, that somewhere between 30 and 70, she would develop this brain tumor and it would take her life. That's just... Natural evil. And what the Bible affirms is that God is behind none of it. That God, the world that God created is a world that is very good. God cannot look down and see earthquakes and tidal waves and cancer and infertility and SIDS and say, that's very good. If he does, then God is not very good. God did not create. He is not the origin of those sorts of experiences in our life, and God is not inflicting them on people for some higher purpose. Imagine explaining to a victim of sexual assault or to the mother whose child has died of starvation that God is doing this for a noble purpose. I mean, even think about the guy in the video who said, um, 
You know, maybe God took our baby because he needs another angel. I mean, think about how he's describing God. God is uh, the kind of God who would kill and steal the thing that I love more than anything else so that he can have one more of something that the Bible says he has millions of already. God is not the origin of the pain that we experience. The Bible teaches that. The second thing that I see in the video is people trying to articulate strategies for coping with pain, right? So you get the person who says, well, pain is just a part of life. We could call that the get over it strategy, right? Everybody hurts, deal with it. When my mom was diagnosed with GBM, the surgeon met her the night of her surgery and explained that this tumor was going to kill her, that she had a year to live which was not a prognosis that sat very well with my mom, as you can imagine. And so the next morning when we met as a family with the surgeon, she asked the surgeon again, can you talk me through this prognosis again? Did you really say that I only have a year to live? At which point the doctor looked at her irritatedly and said, well, you didn't think you were going to live forever, did you? I'm going to call that the get over it approach. And it was profoundly unhelpful to my mom as you can imagine. You get the person uh, in the video who says, well, bad things are just a matter of how you're looking at them, right? It's a matter of perspective. We can call that the silver lining approach, that if you look at it the right way, you can see some sort of goodness embedded in the badness, which is a strategy I dare anyone to try at the Holocaust Memorial. Go and explain to the victims of the Holocaust how if they look at it just the right way, they can see how this turned out to be a good thing. Right? It's impossible. Um, you get the person who says that God has a reason for the pain that we experience. Right? We could um, call this the what doesn't kill you strategy. Right? And it's pure rationalization. The, it's, it's a way of saying, if I can only make sense of it, if I can wrap my brain around it, then it won't hurt as much, except guess what it does. Related to that is the last woman in the video who said, I, you know, answers will come. That it's sort of the wait and see strategy. Eventually this will make sense, except uh, so many things never do. Um, when we buried uh, our stillborn son, who was born in the second trimester, uh, that was one of the most painful things that we've ever done. And there will never be a day in my life when I look back and say, oh, now that makes perfect sense. I get why we needed to do that. I think some of these strategies that we adopt are, are actually more than just unhelpful. If you have been in or you are currently processing pain, you can testify to actually the reality that these strategies become evil in and of themselves. They compound the evil experienced by the person struggling with pain. Because first of all, they justify the pain. They try and frame it as a good thing to to rationalize how it's suitable or it fits somehow. It makes space in our world for things that should never have made space made for them in our world. The Bible says, woe to the person who calls what is evil good and what is good evil. Don't try and accommodate evil. It doesn't fit into our world. But in doing that, what it does is it ends up silencing the victim of evil. It gives people who are struggling with pain no place to go with their pain, which means they have no place to go to heal because no one ever heals in secret. No one ever heals alone. 
In Psalm 69, verse 20, it says this, Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. Not because no one was around. It says, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. I was thirsty for comfort. I was thirsty for healing. And people gave me a nice, tall, cold glass of vinegar to drink. That's the experience of being told these kinds of things when you're in the midst of pain. There is no rational explanation for why there is so much pain in the world. In fact, the Bible never even supplies an explanation for why there is pain in the world. The one time the Bible comes close to asking the question is in the book of Job who is an innocent man and who suffers moral evil and natural evil at scales that we could never even imagine, who's living in this incredibly deep pain. And for 40 chapters in the book of Job, he demands that God explain to him why there's so much pain in his reality. And when he finally gets into a conversation with God about it, do you know what God's answer is? Job, you're on a need-to-know basis. That unless you're a God who can understand things from the way I see them, there's really no point in even talking about it. God definitively, the Bible expressly avoids answering the question of why. Why there's so much pain in the world. Which makes me feel like that's not the most productive conversation that we can have this morning, seeing as the Bible doesn't address it and... All of the ways that we address it are hurtful and misleading and wrong-headed. To me, as I process this conversation, the far more important question is not why they're suffering. That just leads to rationalization. The more important question is, how do we live faithfully in a reality that is filled with suffering? That's a question the Bible is very interested in. In answering, Because the question really is not why is there so much pain in the world. The question, the full version is this. If God is loving and all powerful, then why is there so much pain in the world? The question is a question about God and not about pain or about the world. And the presumption behind the question is that the God who is being questioned is a God who is for some reason distant or aloof, apathetic or uncaring or evil, or incapable, or something, God is standing off, watching the experience of the globe, and humanity, and you in particular, in pain, and for some reason is incapable or unwilling to step in and do anything about it. Which fundamentally is the polar opposite of the picture of God painted by the scriptures. Because the God of the Bible is not a God who is far off and disinterested in doing anything about the pain that you're experiencing or your loved ones are experiencing right now. In fact, just the opposite. The God of the Bible is a God who left heaven and who came to earth in the person, the human being named Jesus of Nazareth, in order to enter into our reality of evil and pain with us. In Matthew chapter 1, a biography of Jesus, it says this, Mary will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, now listen to this, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is God with us 
us in the midst of, his, of our pain. Jesus of Nazareth is evidence or is the reality of God leaving his place in heaven to enter into our reality so that he could stand in solidarity with us in the midst of our pain. In fact, the shortest verse in the entire Bible might be the most profound in this sense. It's John chapter 11, verse 35. It has only two words. It says, Jesus wept. It's a story about how Jesus stood at the graveside of one of his dearest friends who died while Jesus was away. And he's standing at this graveside surrounded by the family and friends of Lazarus who are weeping and wailing and and bawling their eyes out because they've just lost their loved one. And in that moment, Jesus stands there and bursts into tears, just collapses into sobs at the loss of his friend, at the heartache with which he's surrounded. Jesus knows, as the story goes, that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead a few minutes later, and he still enters into solidarity with the pain. He knows God is a God who has entered in and who knows what that pain feels like from the inside, who can empathize with the pain. When Krista and I were at St. Joseph's Hospital in 2009, and she was in labor to deliver uh, our baby, whom we knew had died at that point. Um, the morning that she delivered, we had spent the night in the hospital, and she fell asleep and woke up all night long, restless, restless sleep. And in the morning, she said to me, I had this recurring dream all night long. She said, I dreamed that God spoke to me and said that we are going to have a son, which we, at that point, had three daughters, uh, we didn't have any boys. We weren't anticipating a boy. So we're going to have a son. And that his name is Tristan. And she said, so I believe we're going to have a boy and I want to name him Tristan. And I said, of course we will. Well, she delivered our son, turned out to be a boy, and we named him Tristan. And that night I, got, I went online and I uh, have always been interested in the meaning of names. And so I googled the name Tristan. Tristan comes from the French word triste, which means sad. I told Krista that the name Tristan means sad. And she burst into tears and she said, I feel like God understands how sad this is for us. It's one of those moments where we experience what it's like for God to enter into our pain. So how how do we live faithfully in a world where Jesus is God with us in the midst of our pain? I think we enter into our pain with Jesus. I think one of the most destructive things that we do to each other, especially maybe in the church, is we delegitimize people's pain. Oh, you shouldn't be in pain over that you got to move on with life. Come on, let's go out and have some fun. Um, Get over it. Well, let me tell you something. The kind of pain that some of us are grappling with is not the kind of pain that you will ever get over. I buried my mom at 64 in 08. She never met most of her grandkids. I buried my son in 09. We buried Krista's dad in 2014. These are not things that we will ever get over. The pain will diminish in time, but I will never be over the fact that I lost my only son. I will never be over the fact my mom never got to know her granddaughters and grandsons. Um, The way to live faithfully 
in a world where Jesus is God with us in the midst of the pain is to be okay entering into the pain, to give yourself permission to feel the pain, to grieve and to grieve well. Do you know the, the largest book of the Bible I've already read from it this morning is the book of Psalms. It's 150 prayers given to the church to say, pray these as a way of processing your life. Three quarters of those 150 prayers are prayers of lament, prayers of grief. Prayers that cry out, where are you, God? Why are you not here? Why are you let this happening? How long do I have to live like this? I'm losing hope. God, what are you going to do? I think if three quarters of the prayers that God has given us are prayers of grief, that it's okay for us with Jesus to enter into the grief, to talk to God about the pain that we're experiencing right now. But that's not where it ends because Jesus isn't just God with us in the midst of the pain. He didn't just come to be with us. He came to die on the cross. Jesus is God with us fighting against the pain. When Jesus goes to the cross, he doesn't just die for the forgiveness of our sins. He dies for the healing of our pain. It says in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. When Jesus goes to the cross, the pain that he endures there is his pain, but it's also him carrying the sum total of all of our pain to the cross. The pain of what it's like to be physically abused, to be emotionally abused. Jesus' family, I don't know if you know this, they thought he was crazy. To be sexually abused, Jesus was hung on the cross in public naked. To have your reputation trashed, to be stabbed in the back, betrayed and abandoned by friends, to be taken advantage of and then thrown away. It's the pain of feeling far from God, the pain of being alienated from your community, the pain of being the victim of somebody else's evil intentions. Jesus felt and carried it all to the cross and he nailed it there. He went to the cross to defeat the power of evil and to undo the power of pain. It doesn't happen immediately. Jesus' death on the cross is like the antidote to the poison of pain. In order to experience the effect, you have to first agree to take it in faith, and then you have to allow it to work itself out. But Jesus' death on the cross wasn't just to forgive our sin. It was to bring healing to our pain. So how do we live faithfully in a world where Jesus is God with us fighting against our pain on the cross? I think we have to do what Jesus did on the cross, which is forgive. Jesus hangs on the cross and staring out at the people who put him there and not seeing the people who abandoned him there. Jesus cries out to God and he says, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. Jesus' impulse in that moment in the midst of his pain is to forgive because forgiveness, the letting go of the blame and the bitterness, forgiveness is the beginning of the pathway to healing. And I think there's probably people in each of our locations this morning who need to begin to do the work of forgiving the people who've hurt them. As hard as that's going to be, as long as a journey as that's going to take. 
I think there are people who need to begin to learn to forgive themselves. God has forgiven you, but you need to learn to forgive yourself for the hurt that you've inflicted on you and on the people around you that you love. I think there are people in our community, and I'm going to use the word incorrectly, but who need to learn to forgive God for the condition of your life. God is not the source of your pain, but you have been blaming God for where your life is, and you need to let God go. And instead of seeing him as the aggressor who is doing this to you, you need to learn to see God as being with you in the midst of the pain and with you fighting against the pain. But we need to learn to discover the freedom of forgiveness so that we can begin the journey of the healing that begins the moment Jesus dies on the cross, not just to forgive our sin, but to heal our pain. But there's more to it than that because Jesus didn't, isn't just God with us in the midst of our pain or God with us fighting against our pain. Jesus is God with us triumphing over our pain through his resurrection from the dead. The Bible teaches that three days after Jesus died, as amazing as it is to believe in, and we're gonna talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus uh, on a couple of Sunday mornings at the beginning of April. But as amazing as to think, the Bible says that Jesus was raised from the dead And when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was definitive proof that he had triumphed over the power of evil and death on the cross. That evil and death, it had killed him, but could not keep him dead because Jesus was stronger. He won the victory over death. In Colossians chapter 2, it says this about Jesus. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, the spiritual causes of pain and evil in our world, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus' victory was demonstrated in his resurrection from the dead. And two things happened. Number one, he demonstrated that he was more powerful than evil and pain. And number two, it says he disarmed the spiritual source of evil and pain in the world, which is a remarkable thing to say given that evil and pain are still so prevalent in our society, in our world, across the globe. That what the resurrection was, the resurrection was like the discovery of the vaccine for evil and pain. Now, the medical battle was won. The the only thing that was left to do is for the church to fan out through all creation and inoculate people against evil and pain by inviting them into faith in Jesus until evil and pain are eradicated in our world. That's what the resurrection is about in brief. And so how do you live in a world, how do you live faithfully in a world of pain, given that Jesus is God with us triumphing over the pain in the resurrection? Well, you do what Wendell Berry says, you practice resurrection. You live your life making small gestures of resurrection, demonstrating that you believe that life has won out over death. That the light is winning in the world, which is what by faith we confess. We confess by faith because there's no proof that God raised Jesus from the dead. And we confess that that changed the trajectory of human history and the light is winning. And you live in the light, making small gestures of resurrection. Viktor Frankl, who lived at Auschwitz in World War II, remembers how some of the men used to wander from hut to hut, encouraging and comforting the people who lived in the various housings and offering them their final morsel of bread. They were practicing resurrection. They were making a statement that 
evil will not have the last word on how things are in the world, that life will win in the end. We do it by being thoughtful about how we live, about being intentional to not unwittingly participate in systemic evil in our culture that can suck us in so that other people on the other side of the world are being enslaved just because we want another pair of skinny jeans. We do it by being actively engaged as our church is in um, feeding and sheltering the homeless, in working with migrant workers from the Caribbean, in working with soul support families in Niagara, uh, providing the support they need to uh, grow their family in healthy and productive ways. It's why our church sponsors hundreds of children around the world. They were practicing resurrection. The faith-filled gestures that say, I believe the light is winning. When Tristan was born, we gave him the middle name Anastasis, which is the Greek word that means resurrection because we believe that his death was not the end of his story and we believe that his death was not the end of our family's story. And 12 months later, almost to the day, Krista gave birth to our fourth child, another girl, and we named her Briley, and we gave her the middle name Joy. Because resurrection means the joy that comes after the sadness. Fourthly, Jesus is God with us in the midst of the pain. He's God with us fighting against the pain. He's God with us triumphing over the pain. And he's God with us leading us through the pain. The Bible teaches that Jesus is going to come, come back to earth again someday. And he's going to finish the project of eradicating evil and pain from his creation. There's more work to do because the world is not yet done. And when Jesus returns, what he's going to do is going to finally and ultimately and for eternity root evil and pain out of creation. He is going to recreate the creation so the Creation is the way that God always wanted it when he created it in the first place. Jesus' friend John catches a vision of what this is going to be like. In Revelation 21, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away and he who is seated on the throne, God himself says, I am making everything new. When Jesus returns, he is gonna recreate this world and eradicate evil and pain. And in that day, we will forever live in the presence of God and God will live among those of us who have lived our faith in Jesus and God will wipe every Every tear from every eye in humanity. And we will live as those who love God with all that we are and who love ourselves having been made whole and we will love each other the way we always ought to have and we'll love the entire world and the creation itself the way God has invited us to from the beginning. That's what it will be like forever when Jesus comes back to lead us through to the other side of the pain. And so how do we live faithfully in a world where Jesus is God with us leading us through the pain? We live in hope. The kind of hope that recognizes that 
Pain and evil were never God's creation design in the first place. They do not have to be assumed as given realities in our life. And that pain and reality because of the resurrection do not get to have the last word. They are not the final word of the way life goes. So knowing that the world does not come from pain but from love and the world is not going to pain but towards love. In the meantime, we live in the hope of knowing that one day this will be what we experience. The hope of knowing that Jesus is God with us in the midst of whatever you're going through right now. That Jesus on the cross is God with us fighting against the pain of whatever you're going through right now. That Jesus being raised from the dead is God with us triumphing over the pain that you're fighting right now. And that Jesus is leading you forward to a place where he is going to guide you through the pain to the other side. To wholeness and life and health. I want to invite the band back to the stage. And I want us, as we end the service, to begin the journey of processing our pain. To begin it at the beginning by bringing our pain into the presence of God through prayer. Ben's going to play a song for us that uh, we can just sit and reflect on the words. But as we go through the song, three people are going to come or three parties are going to come up and read through prayers that are going to help us bring into God the pain of our world. A prayer for the pain that is being experienced the world over. A prayer for the pain that's being experienced by the people we love. And a prayer for the pain that's being experienced in your soul right now. Take this space. Live in this space. Invite God into this space of reflection. Invite God into this space of wherever you are on your journey or wherever you are in walking with somebody else through their journey. Bring the pain into the presence of God and leave it with there in the hope of resurrection and freedom from the evil and pain that Jesus came to bring. Let's Sit in this space with God together.